Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. So welcome everyone. If you don't know who I am, my name is Kat. I'm um, one of the staff members here at Inspire Church. And um, we're almost ending our summer series. It's, I can't believe this is like week seven. And then we end with Pastor Andy. And then we picnic. And then we get back on schedule with Pastor Phil. And it's, we just start a new year. And uh, wow, that went by really fast. And now it decides to be hot, right? But summer in the Psalms, you guys. And so the mission is to immerse us all in the Psalms. I see a couple new faces, as you probably notice. wow, from the beginning to the middle, again, and the sermon. And that's our goal, is to be immersed in the Psalms. Why? Because we need all the resources we can get in terms of learning how to have a deeper prayer life. And so we can learn to honestly emote before the Lord without the insecurities that the world puts on us. And remember that the Psalms are based on real experiences, real emotions, and a real God. So as I uh, was studying for the psalm that I'll be preaching on today, honestly, I grappled with the text as I studied. I spent a few hours just reading the context over and over because I got it, then I didn't get it, and then it just kind of upset me, and then I had to figure out what's going on here, and I had to read it again and just take it for as it is. And I share this to invite you to study God's word. Don't be afraid to ask questions, to meditate, to wonder. Pray through what you might not understand. Use legitimate resources to help you study God's word. And like Jackie Hill Perry says, position yourself to see God's goodness in his word. Because you will see it if that is the disposition of your heart. And so with that, that's what I had to pray through as I was studying this text. So today's message then is entitled, In the Wilderness. In the Wilderness. Have you ever been in the wilderness? Maybe you immediately thought of being in the woods in the middle of nowhere. Maybe there was a few times that you had gotten lost when you were hiking. It was a new trail. You went off off road and you found yourself in the wilderness so maybe that's what you're thinking back but you made it congratulations you're here but let me ask a better question when was the last time you were in a state of wilderness in your heart in your mind or with your circumstances a literal physical wilderness would be described as a dry place like a desert a wasteland maybe a forest to no end, or a deserted place. It is also a place of solitary and desolation. But being in a state of wilderness is described to be lonely, deserted by others, deprived of aid and protection, especially by those close to you. It's in the wilderness where it's easy to get lost, disoriented. It's in the wilderness where it's easy to be lonely and afraid. It's in the wilderness where your hunger and thirst is challenged. When I was nine years old, 
my parents got divorced. You don't gotta say amen if you felt that, <laughs> like I did. I actually remember a lot of the details that happened in that time, specifically in the next few months when we found out what was happening. My dad and our room renter moved in together and began a romantic relationship or lived out what they had. And my mom got married to her coworker who we had met, I think, when they were almost getting married. My whole life changed in a blink of an eye. I remember, as young as nine years old, feeling deserted, lonely, <clears throat> disoriented, and in just a foreign territory. This is probably my earliest memory of being in a state of wilderness. So it's not if you'll ever find yourself in a wilderness, but it'll be when and when and when again. One of the most inviting and genuine things about the Bible is that a lot of it is written in narrative form, which means that many stories of real people are being told. Stories of people who have chosen God or refused him, and we get to learn from them. In today's text, King David is going to lead us in a praise song. This psalm is believed to have been written during one of the two times in David's life where he is running for his life and forced to go into hiding. In this particular time, David isn't running from a foreign enemy, but he is actually running from his very own son, who is now an enemy and wants to take his life and take his throne. Because of these circumstances, David is confronted with a choice. He could curse God, deny God, or praise God in the wilderness. So if you're willing, with an open heart and mind, let's learn about how David responds to God in the wilderness. Let's pray. God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you this morning. My soul thirsts for you and my body yearns for you. Teach me to love you more than how I love my own life. Teach me to love you more, even in the wilderness. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. If you brought your Bibles or Bible app, whichever you prefer, please turn to Psalm 63 and bookmark it because you're going to want to read it again. <laughs> Psalm 63, it's also on the screen. It says, this is a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. To follow along with me and help me not get off course, 
The outline today is simply, in the wilderness, David's heart, David's soul, and David's confidence. But before we get into the main points, let's run the story back on why David is in the wilderness. David wrote this psalm in the wilderness when he had to flee the kingdom because a rebellion was being led by his son Absalom. You can read the full story in 2 Samuel chapters 13 to 15, but I'm going to summarize it for you. And listen closely because this is why there was a lot of grappling with this. David's oldest son, Amnon, next in line for the throne, rapes his half-sister, Tamar. And David gets angry but does not punish his son, Amnon. Absalom, Tamar's full brother, is upset and plots his own vengeance on behalf of his sister and ultimately kills his half-brother, Amnon. Absalom flees for three years, and when he is granted back into the kingdom, David doesn't fully reconcile with him by not showing his face to him for two years. So his son's home, but it's not home. With that, Absalom planned to conspire and overthrow David from the throne, and so the rebellion began, which caused David to flee. And here he is in the wilderness, in the desert, forced into hiding with his life at stake. You can read on and see what happens. Spoiler alert, it doesn't end very well. It's in 2 Samuel 15, 30, where we find David, or at least where scholars have attributed as a period where David pens this psalm, but David, but David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. It was a devastating time. It was a family problem. And you know, those are so terrible. I heard that. Look at that. Lord, speak to us. So what can we learn from David in the wilderness? First, in the wilderness, David's heart turns to God. Verse 1 says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David starts off by declaring that God was his God. Before he says or does anything, God, you are my God. David is writing to his personal, true, loving God. And I love how David's heart is turned and inclined toward God. In the wilderness, David does these action verbs, and it's going to be listed out. He seeks, thirsts, faints, Faint to faint is to long into hunger. He looks, beholds, praises, blesses, lifts up his hands, remembers, meditates, and sings. It's ironic because knowing the background of why and when he writes this psalm, you almost immediately think that it's going to be a lament psalm, right? Like David would say, God, put ashes over my head. My heart is faint. It's falling. Or maybe it could sound like an imprecatory psalm. God, avenge me. My enemies are after me. Smite them, kill them, tear them down. But David, in the wilderness, writes a praise psalm. It, yeah, it's really like, okay, tell me more. Verse 1, David earnestly seeks God. And we don't use that word earnest enough, so I had to look up. 
look it up. To be earnest is to show sincere and intense conviction. Pre-pandemic, which was like eons ago, there was a time when the keto diet was a bit popular here at Inspire. <laughs> there were several of us who were just, we lived and breathed keto. And I know some people were so annoyed. <laughs> That's all we did. We, all we did was talk about it. All we did was talk about what we were doing, what we were reading, what we educate ourselves on. We just lived the keto lifestyle. You know when you're going to someone's house or a party, oh, what are you going to have? Oh, I'm going to bring my own stuff. Do you have alternative for keto? It, it was a thing. And there was quite a bit of us who were earnestly seeking all of the benefits from what we believed would help us get healthy and lose weight. David earnestly seeked God. He earnestly seeked after his personal, true, loving God. David's soul also thirsted, and his flesh fainted. It hungered. It longed for God. Remember that as he says this, David is actually in the wilderness, in the Judean desert. His resources are limited, and instead of focusing on the hunger pains and the thirsting body, it's his soul and flesh that thirsts and faints for God. In verse 2, David recalls looking and beholding God's power and glory in the sanctuary. He has known and experienced God in his daily worship on the tabernacle. But here in the Judean desert, there is no tabernacle. There's no place of worship. There's no Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God would be. David is replaying and relying on what he has experienced. Take note, David didn't go through the motions with being in a tabernacle, which was the actual place of worship. He saw and beheld the power of God. And now that that place isn't there, he recalls, he holds on, he remembers, he meditates on what he knows. He brings it with him. In verses 3, three 4, 5, and 7, which will come up here soon, David also praises blesses and lifts up his hands and sings for joy. Usually when I do a praise break at home, it's because something great happened. Like I got what I wanted or something really great happened. But here, David's heart isn't weary. It does nothing more than acknowledge still the goodness of God in his life. Man, who here needs a praise break? Who here needs that? We'll get to that later. Verses 6 to 7, David also remembers and meditates. David isn't a faithful forgetter. Shout out to Pastor Rogers. Powerful message last week. Go ahead, run it back, listen to it if you haven't. And if you did, run it again. If you read the Old Testament, thank you, keep that up. If you read the Old Testament, the people of God do such a great job on remembering God and what he has done. And we have so much to learn from that. In particular, they always remember the Passover and God's law, meditating on it day and night, recalling the acts of God. It's actually a really beautiful and powerful rhythm of life to remember and meditate on God. It's here where David remembers and meditates on God and what he's done. David does this in the evening all night long instead of having fearful 
anxious thoughts and dreams. And if you're like me thinking of all the things that went wrong, all the things that you shouldn't have said, all the things three years ago that you did or 10 years ago when you were nine, just running it all back. Anyone here? Just me. Oh, all night long. He is faithfully remembering and meditating on God. He is probably thinking of the Passover. He is probably thinking of the time when he was saved from Saul. He's probably thinking of Goliath. He's probably thinking of all the times in the tabernacle, the fire, the fire burning, the worship. He's here thinking and meditating on God. While David lays out how his heart is responding to God in the wilderness, as you can see bolded in the different ways his heart responds, we have to ask ourselves, what do we do when we are in the wilderness? Does that look like what we do? Because I'm like, wow, wow, that's great. That's a great list. When things have gone utterly wrong and your decisions have terrible consequences, when you find yourself lost, lonely, and helpless, what do you do when you're in the wilderness? What are you doing right now? Hear me out. Do you blame others? Project your feelings on others. Avoid, avoid, avoid. Deny, deny, deny. Lie. Disconnect. Check out. In a world where it's so easy to just disconnect, right? Disappear, like run away. Like don't show your face. Or maybe self-medicate. And we know. Or here's a new one, indulge in self-care. It's a weird one because we're empowered to self-care now because, you know, we, the grind was so hard for so long. But isn't that an easy thing to indulge in in the wilderness? And this is just a list of what we can probably say at least one of them is our go-to response in the wilderness. This isn't meant to call us out or to embarrass, embarrass us, or maybe it is. But we're sinners by nature. We're sinners by nature. But we have to ask ourselves so that we could recalibrate and ponder and speak the gospel to ourselves. What do these, what do these things do for us in the wilderness? What do they accomplish? What do they really do for our hearts? I'll tell you what it'll do. It'll actually make us more lost more lonely, more helpless because it's just temporary. It'll end. It'll end. Or you're going to keep wanting for more, the self-medication more and more and more. Lie, 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 and now you just got to keep lying. Deny, deny, avoid, stuff the pain down because it's too hard and it just, you can't let it come up anymore because it's going to erupt. Or just self-care, in the name of self-care, in the name of I got to do this for myself, I deserve this. We just get more lost, more lonely, more helpless, and more dependent on these things that don't last. Listen to what pastor and author Charles Spurgeon says. Even when our heart is rather desiring than enjoying, we should still continue to magnify the Most High. For his love is truly precious. Even if we do not personally for the time being happen to be rejoicing in it. We ought not to make our praises of God to depend upon our own personal and present reception of benefits. This would be mere selfishness. Even public, publicans and sinners 
have a good word for those whose hands are enriching them with gifts. It is the true believer only who will bless the Lord when he takes away his gifts or hides his face. It's going to be in the wilderness where our seeking, thirsting, longing, praising, blessing, lifting of hands, remembering, meditating, and singing is going to matter the most. Keep that back pocket. These are the action verbs that will keep our heart inclined and put toward God. And if you still don't know where to start when in the wilderness, read this song. Read what David writes when he is in the thick of it. I mean, you don't, you don't want what happened to him to happen to you. Read. Read what he, what, how his heart inclines. David's heart didn't just respond well in the wilderness. David's soul was also satisfied in God. By definition, because I look it up, I had to look it up, because I don't use the word satisfied too much, I guess. To be satisfied is to be pleased because you have gotten what you wanted or because something has happened in the way that you wanted it. That's an interesting definition. I don't think I use it in the way that uh, it's defined. Satisfaction is based on what we want and hope for. As we learn something really interesting about David, we learn that his satisfaction goes beyond his current circumstance. And that's hard. Who here is looking beyond? Who here is looking eternally? Who here is looking ahead? I know I'm not most of the time. David isn't looking to be comfortable or to be loved and approved by all. While in a physical state of wilderness, while running and fearing for his life, things aren't going as expected, as expected or the way anyone would want it to go. No king wants his throne to be jeopardized. No father wants his son to become his enemy. But regardless of the present circumstance, David's soul is satisfied in God. He writes in verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life. And I'm going to tell you, I, I need to take this and I got to tell myself that all the time. Like, I think this is going to be a favorite verse because I got to remind myself. David, who is being sought out by enemies to be killed, but instead of worry and fear, rests in God's love being greater than his life being threatened. Ironically, aren't we always, and hear me out, ironically, aren't we always trying to figure out how to prolong our lives? Or how to keep our lives as comfortable as possible, especially as Americans? Like, comfort is such a big thing. The parking's not good, I'm going home. Right? Right? Eight minutes in Costco. No, I'll go to Costco next time. I'll go home. Don't we game plan our goals and schedules to mirror our ideas on success or how life should be lived so that at the end of the day or at the end of our life, we made much of what was given to us? We're so bothered by accomplishments and productivity. I read that in the Bay Area in particular, that's what, that's what gets us. I was reading in contrast to SoCal it, and... I just read it, so don't take my word. It's vanity, it's appearance, and here it's productivity, accomplishments. You know, one of the, when you meet someone, one of the first questions is, oh, where do you work? What do you do? It's like, like what do I say? What's the best thing to make me look like I? <laughs> I work for a nonprofit in Union City. 
We resource families in need. And we put on events. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Where am I? Let me come back here. <laughs> oh my goodness. I work for a church and I love it. Helping myself and others on a journey to be transformed by the gospel. Living in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. Come on, that's not even my notes. My big brother just told me to do it, so I said it. Okay, come back, come back. David says this profound statement of God's love, being better than life. David's life is marked by his satisfaction in God's love despite the fact that his family is in shambles, that his life can possibly be taken soon, but that doesn't stop David's soul. In verse 5a, it says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. David is in the wilderness without his lavish resources and the best choice of food, but he is full. And as it is as if he's eating the best foods while you might be grossed out with fat and rich food. I'm Filipino, so that's really speaking to my appetite. <laughs> fat and rich food, yeah, go ahead. Let's go with that lechon koali. Let's go. Who's hungry now? And in verse 8, David continues on to say, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. The word cling means to catch by pursuit. I have to sit there for a moment and think about that. To cling is to catch by pursuit. David is not passive in regards to the satisfying of his soul. His soul is in pursuit of God, clinging onto him, never to let go. I love how he affirms that God's grip is with his right hand, which symbolizes his dominant, strong hand. David's soul clings and God's strength is holding him. So I must ask naturally, what satisfies your soul? What are the things or people that you have acquired or deem as part of your soul's satisfaction? What has pleased you so much because you finally got it and it's what you wanted? What satisfies your soul? Maybe it's a degree that you worked really hard for or a job title position that you've been wanting so badly. Is it the relationship or marriage or kids that you have? Don't hate me for this. Is it the magic key? from Disneyland because it's the happiest place on earth. It's just a great example, that's all. I got next, okay? So I was sharing with Pastor Phil a little story of when I was thinking of the soul satisfaction. It brought me back to maybe a month ago where I had one of the biggest letdowns of my life. See this shoe? Apparently, it's a really coveted shoe. I don't know. Just forgive me if I'm saying all the wrong things. It's coveted, and I'm late in the game because I just got it. It only comes out at certain times of the year. It gets sold out pretty fast. You see, I waited a year because I was just seeing this on social media the whole time. Cool people had it. I was like, wow, those shoes are so cool. I don't know. I didn't know that was, that was me. I saved up my money, and I asked Pastor Sherry, boldly, I even told her, if you don't want to do this, just say no, it's all good. I'm not going to be offended. Can you buy this for me? Wait in line for me because I don't have the time to do it. <laughs> That's love. That's love. 
They waited, she waited like early in the morning for almost an hour virtually, okay, and got me the shoe. When I got it, I put it on, put on like nice outfit, whatever, I put it on, and to my amazement, man, it was such a letdown. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> I was so disappointed. No knock on you, it looks great on whoever else has it. I'm just, okay, this is it. <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting from this shoe. But my soul was, or my pride was not satisfied. It really felt like I was hoping that these shoes were going to fulfill something inside of me. Like it'll make my life better or give me a super power thing. Or maybe it'll attract someone finally. I don't know. I don't know. I put it on and I wanted something from it. It's so trivial. And it's so silly. And I didn't want to share because... It's so, okay, okay, cat. wow. <laughs> I'm just human, guys. <laughs> but don't we put our hope in things or people or circumstances hoping that it'll somehow fulfill something deep in our souls? Man, hoping that our appetites for life in life would finally be satisfied? Come on. And I'm going to touch my computer. <laughs> the soul satisfaction that David describes to bring us back is better than life because it will supersede this life on earth. And you just got to make that connection, okay? I'm not just saying this. It, God's love is better than life because it will supersede this life on earth. This wilderness moment that David is in, which is terrible and, and a devastating place to be in, it'll fade, it'll end, it'll be gone. Much like the things we have acquired, accumulated, the material things and relationships that we've deemed as soul-satisfying, one day it'll be gone. But you know what will go beyond this life? David said it, God's steadfast love. His love will reign and rule beyond the wilderness, beyond our earthly life. So take note and maybe recalibrate and remember that true soul satisfaction will be found in God's steadfast love that goes beyond anything here on earth. And I'm going to land the plane soon, so I know the worship team is going to start getting ready. David has already given us so much to consider. With the posture of his heart and his satisfied soul, but the last point is this. In the wilderness, David puts his confidence in God. Yeah. So he's not just satisfied. He's also confident. If you read the last verses, you're like, wow, that sounds kind of out of place. But let's, let's, take, let's look at it. Let's, let's study it a little bit more. Verses 9 to 11. It says, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword they shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. David isn't prophesying. David isn't even having a wishful thinking moment. He is putting his full confidence in God. To shall or to will is to express a future occurrence, a command, inevitability, or determination of what is to come. David actually reminds us 
in these verses brings us back to the major theme of the book of Psalms, which is the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. If you remember in the opening sermon of this series, I know several weeks ago, run it back, Pastor Phil preached on Psalm 1, which contrasts between the wicked and the righteous. And all over Psalms, there's always this call back to the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. And just to clarify for all those, and just to clarify in this context, all of those conspiring are in rebellion to who God has appointed and anointed to lead his people. You see, the king's spiritual state always reflected the state of the people because he will be, he will be leading according to his convictions, and David is a righteous king. He's a righteous king. And here we have Absalom in rebellion. And if you know the churchy words, rebellion is not, rebellion's not good. You see, I continue to read more, and I grappled with the way Absalom was treated. And, you know, we all got to go to therapy and counseling and, you know, work through our childhood trauma. And when we become adults, we're responsible. There is a bit of responsibility from someone who just had, I constantly, God, God, you are good. You are my father. I'm anchored in you, not in what the cards were dealt with. Absalom himself becomes a rapist. Absalom himself causes wickedness in the hearts of the kingdom as he causes this revolt and rebellion. Absalom himself erects a statue of himself. That's idolatry. So this is how David lays it out, not knowing that these things would happen or are happening. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. The wicked shall go into the depths of the earth. The wicked shall fall by the sword. The wicked shall become food for the foxes, in some translations say jackals, which are animals who basically eat what we would call roadkill. And the wicked shall have their mouths shut for their liars. The righteous, however, shall rejoice in God. The righteous shall exalt God. David is confident in what will be the end result of this, that God's going to take care of it because God's love is better than life, because he is putting his trust and hope in God's faithfulness to the righteous. So in this confidence, David trusts. David trusts. In the wilderness, where will you put your confidence in? What basket are you going to put all your eggs in? Where will you put your confidence in? Will it be in the work of your hands? Will it be in what is in your control? Will you put your confidence, or maybe you'll put the, your confidence in the spontaneity of life, whatever life will just throw at me? Or will you put your confidence in God and what he has said in his word? I'm just going to give you a few verses to hold on to because this is the confidence that we could put our confidence in. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Hebrews 10.23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises is faithful. 
Psalm 91, 14 to 15, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. As we come to the very ending of today's message, like I said, I was grappling with the context. I called Pastor Roger maybe two weeks ago and was like, you know what David did? Let me tell you what David did. I was like, I was just so like, it was like, I don't know. And I was like listing all these things and we were just kind of talking it out. And I loved the pause in our conversation to speak the gospel. While David was a man after God's own heart, he was just a man. He was a sinner, not exempt from the consequences of his sin, not exempt from life's temptations. But David was resilient, repented, and loved God so deeply. In, this, in the wilderness, we read this psalm, we see his heart, soul, and confidence. So thankfully, his life is a great case study, not to judge so that we could, oh, look at him, I didn't do that. But a case study for us to learn what it means what it means to be someone who would go after God's heart because the wilderness will come. And so while David was a king with many failures, I want to point you to a greater king. And while this is a great transition, I want to pause and say, no, this is it. Like, I want to point to where our hearts need to be anchored because I've seen I've seen my loved ones reject this. I've seen people around me say no thanks or ridicule or not understand how important it is to see and look and behold the greater king and how it is even more devastating, even more tragic to see someone say no thank you. So I invite you to look to a greater king, a perfect sinless man unlike David who was also in the wilderness. You see, Jesus, the eternal son who put on flesh to live a perfect life for you and I was in the wilderness too. Jesus was hungry too. And he was confronted by his enemy too. Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And a tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus said to them, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you. You will fall down if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and was ministering to him. Jesus remembered and meditated, inclined his heart towards God. Jesus was was satisfied beyond food, and Jesus' confidence was found in God's authority. In the wilderness, we won't always get it right. 
And sometimes we'll get it utterly wrong. But thankfully, Jesus got it right. Jesus stood in the wilderness unmoved so he could do what we could not do. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. Jesus accepted the worst death so that you and I wouldn't have to pay for the penalty of our sin. Jesus conquers death and gives us the result of his perfect, sinless, resurrected life, his righteousness, so that when the Father sees us, he sees his perfect son. If you are currently finding yourself in the wilderness, I invite you to rest and trust in Christ. Settle your heart, soul, and confidence in him. If you aren't in the wilderness right now, the invitation is still the same because life has its ebbs and flows, and what Christ offers is available for all of us. As a worship in the next few moments is going to lead us into one more song, I invite you, let's stand together. Sing the song, worship, or even take this moment and ask God, Lord, reveal my heart. Lord, reveal my soul. Reveal where I'm putting my confidence in God because I want it in you. And I pray that's all of our prayers. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today? By faith, we are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspiredchurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.